Welcome to the first episode of the JJ Reddick podcast on the Ringer Network. In our very first episode, we are going to be joined by my teammate, Joel Embiid of the 76ers. Before we get to Joe, I just want to say a few things. Uh, first of all, thank you for listening. I know my pod has been uh, wildly inconsistent over the past year. In fact, for the most part, it's been completely missing. You know, I have moved it around a couple times, but I feel like I've found a permanent home here at The Ringer. This sort of presented me with the, the best opportunity to get really good content out while also allowing me to have my own time with my family and obviously my time with my teammates and playing professional basketball. I think the last time that, you know, I really spoke about the Sixers at all was, was during free agency and the season is obviously up and running. We played 19 games now. Um, the very first month for me was so surreal. I think there's something to be said about familiarity and, and comfort of being in one place for so long and having been in LA for four years and been around essentially the same core group of guys and the same coaching staff. I just got really comfortable there. And it was really, really weird for me in September when we were playing pickup together and training camp and even you know, a few games into preseason, it was, it was just surreal to be around a new group of people and to be learning new teammates and new coaches. You know, I even, I even called CP a few times on my drive down from Brooklyn to Philly to chat with him just to catch up. And then once the rhythm of the season started and we started playing games, I just, I felt a lot more comfortable. And truthfully, I'm, I'm having a blast. I mean, this has been a great group to be a part of. I feel really, really fortunate to, to be on this team at this stage in my career. Truthfully, I'm like, I'm encouraged and, and maybe even a little bit surprised with how competitive we've been thus far in the season. I mean, I realized coming here that this team had a lot of talent. It was one of the reasons that I wanted to be in Philadelphia and come here. But from Joe to Ben to Cov to Dario to TJ to Timmy, Rashawn. I mean, I could go down the line of my teammates. They're all better than I realize. And, and the coaching staff is phenomenal. And I'm very confident that we're going to make the playoffs this year. I, I really feel that. And I have a buddy who gives me shit every time that I mention that I've made the playoffs 11 years and 11 years of my career. But I really feel like this is going to be 12 for 12. I feel like this is going to happen. And really the main reason behind that is because of our two superstars, because of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I don't think I realized before I came here how good both of those players were. You know, Ben obviously missed an entire year of basketball last year, which would have been his rookie year. And for a rookie, he is uh, extremely poised, way more poised than than I ever could have imagined. And I remember on the first day of pickup back in September, my very first impression of Ben was that he was faster, stronger, and more athletic than I ever realized. He really is a special talent, and he has the potential to be what I, I think to be a you know a transcendent player in the NBA. There's not many sort of unicorns out there, but Ben Simmons falls into that category. The other guy, of course, that falls into that category is Joel Embiid, my guest today. And I feel very fortunate to, to play with these two guys, two guys that I think will be superstars in this league for a long time. Before I start with Joel, I, I just want to say, like, having been around him and having talked to him for this podcast, 
a few things really stick out about Joe, and that's his sense of gratitude, how grateful he is to be in the place that he's in, how much he lives in the moment, and how much he enjoys life. I don't think a day goes by that Joel does not enjoy life. Certainly a game doesn't go by that he doesn't enjoy playing. I really believe this guy is living his best life. And I'm excited for you guys to hear our conversation. So without further ado, let's get to Joel Embiid. I'm joined now by my teammate, Joel Embiid. Joe, thanks for coming on the pod. Yes, sir. You're welcome. <laughs> it's a big deal to get you on the pod, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of people want to hear from you. You've been uh, one of the more entertaining players to follow, not just on the court, um, but in social media. In fact, you were probably a social media star before being an NBA star. I want to ask you about the locations and where you come up with this stuff, because I did a little bit of research, and there was a picture last year of a, a fan with the sign talking about the process. The process location happened to be a, a random gym in Columbus, Ohio. Then there was a picture of White's, uh, Hassan Whiteside from last year. The location was Barbecue Chicken, which was a, literally a, a place called Barbecue Chicken in Fort Lee, New York. And then, of course, there's the shithole, which was <laughs> Milwaukee. <laughs> and uh, most recently, uh, you did one when we uh, beat the Lakers and you had 46 and you did LeVar Fars Iran. Oh. <laughs> what goes through your head when you're when you're coming up with this? Uh, I mean, uh, it depends. Uh, I'm going into my matchup, usually... You know, I just want to go out there, have fun, um, play basketball and dominate. Um, but uh, guys usually have a tendency to have something against me. Um, so they would be like extra physical or they would just start uh, talking trash to me. So and then it just elevates my game. It makes me uh, want to dominate them. It makes me want to kick their ass so I can go on social media later <laughs> and just basically talk shit. Uh, so, I mean, that's what I did. I mean, going back to the white side stuff, and it's all fun. It, to me, it's all fun. I'm just trying to have fun, but these guys, uh, I guess, they get the feeling, uh, feelings hurt, and uh, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's all, it's all fun. And if you want to take it off the court and uh, keep beefing, that's your problem. Um, but going back to the white side stuff, uh, that was in preseason, and uh, we started the game, and it was just, I mean, it's preseason. He was uh, extra, too extra physical, and then he just started talking, and then I was like, dude, like, there's, it's preseason, and we're just playing basketball. We're just over here trying to get ready for the season and get better. And I think I, um, I he ended up following me three times in the first two or three minutes of the game. And that's when I looked at his bench and I basically told his coach and his teammates to literally take him out because he was going to fall out in five minutes because I was actually going to fall him out in five minutes. And he was going to look ridiculous for us. So that was on him. And then after the game, um, like literally right after the game, I got told that uh, YSI said something about me on Twitter. So I go and look and then... I see that they say something about it. And I'm like, dude, you had three fouls. I mean, you had three fouls in 
So I don't know, three minutes and I was about to fire you out and I don't even care. Like, that's the preseason. And uh, he was talking about, and we won the game too. And then he just start, started talking about some stuff. And then uh, I had a great comeback. And, uh, you know, I don't really remember. I think I mentioned his um, plus and minus and whatever. And uh, You said he was too worried about stats. Yeah, he was too worried yeah. about stats. Instead and not of, winning. Yeah. Uh, instead of winning. And then I mentioned his plus and minus. Like, dude, you don't help your team win. At the end of the day, it's all about winning. It's not about stats or whatever. Like, uh, So... That was the thing with him, and then what was the next one, Laval? When <laughs> the, I the one, the one, the Iran, oh, the Iran, Iran location. Well, yeah, uh, it's actually funny when I like go to uh, one location. I want to put on my pictures. He just, I mean, the Laval one. Obviously, I dropped forty six, and uh, uh, I don't have any problems with. Uh, the ball family, I actually like, I actually love what they're doing, especially off the court. We like having their own brand and stuff. I'm a big fan. And like I said, it's all fun. And back, back in, uh, during the summer, he said something about me. Uh, I couldn't play basketball or at all. So, I mean, that LA game was, uh, kind of marked on my calendar. He just, I mean, play against his son, and I don't have anything against his son either. Like I love, uh, I think he's gonna be really good, and uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I think he's gonna be a really good point guard in the league. Um, but I mean, that game was marked on my calendar. Uh, <laughs> couldn't wait to play, uh, just to show the Lakers fan and uh, Lavar Ball that I can actually play. And I think, uh, I don't think he was at the game, but I'm sure he saw that I could actually play. So, uh, I just, you know, I just had to like take a shot at him after the game and basically, uh, not call him out, but just have fun. Laval. I was actually surprised. I actually, they had a location that said Laval Ball basically <laughs> on, on Instagram. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you almost keep a, like a mental log of people that, have either said things about you or that have maybe, uh, you know, tried you a little bit. Uh, I know the other one that was kind of recent was you made a joke after a game about your conditioning level. I don't know if it was a joke. Maybe you were being serious and you said your conditioning level was at 69%. Jalen Rose comes out. He says you were being unprofessional. And and your response was, well, now my conditioning conditioning (laughs) level is up to 81%. Shout out Jalen Rose in reference to Kobe dropping 81 so there's really no limit to who you will go after <laughs> oh no i mean if you come after me uh i mean i i haven't done anything to anybody i'm just trying to have fun uh i went through a lot of uh, stuff my first two years the two years that i missed so to me when i came back was just about, about like just coming back and have fun dominate and have fun so the thing with uh General was, I mean, I'm, I made a comment. I was a random number. I was at 69%. I, I didn't know what else, uh, they were talking about or what else they were thinking. You know, I'm, I'm from Africa. I'm new, basically staying new in the States. So I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And, uh, I don't know why people were making fun of that number. I actually had no idea. And, uh, I saw, and the main thing with me is that I see everything, literally. I see everything. I don't try to. The funny part is that when I go on social media, like, 
I just go into like Instagram. I just go into post a pic and then I'm out. You don't read the comments. I don't read the comments. Never. Like, but, you, I can't, but, you, I can't. but you are on House of Highlights. You like look at House of Highlights. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll of, look how, at your feed, right? Yeah. House of like Sometimes I do like, I look at like House of Highlights, Bleacher Report. Yeah. I look at stuff like that. But like like me, uh, especially on my pics and stuff, like I can't look at the comments. Literally, I get like thousand comments like per pics. I think about going through all that all yeah, the time. Right, like right. that's gonna take me hours and days and like I can't <laughs> I just can't do it. So I just go on there and like post a pic and I'm out. And then uh sometimes I look at like pages like House of Highlights or like, you know, girls and stuff. So um <laughs> Do you do you know have you ever heard the phrase like social media troll? Do you know yeah, what that is? Yeah, I know, I know it's a do troll. You, do, would you say like I mean cause it sounds to me like you're you're trolling people on social media. Like social media, I think in and of itself is like one big troll, but yeah. you're like you're intentionally trolling. Would you admit that? Uh yeah. Yeah. I mean, fans do it to us. Okay. Uh, so why not? I'm a human being, so I, I feel like I can troll too. So I'm I'm gonna do it. All right. Before we move on, we're going to take a quick break to hear from today's sponsors. You've heard me talk of the amazing shave I get from Dollar Shave Club Razor, especially when I use it with their Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. Well, I'm here to tell you I'm never giving up my membership. In fact, I'm adding even more DSC products to my daily routine. Dollar Shave Club makes products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything you need. They have me looking and feeling amazing. And it's all their own original stuff. They only use the finest premium ingredients and they deliver it to you, just like they do their razors. That means no more annoying trips to the store, cruising up and down aisles, looking at shelf upon shelf of what the hell is that and what do I do with it? I use Dollar Shave Club for just about everything. They've got me covered from head to toe and with gift memberships and e-gift cards available, DSC can help cover the names on your holiday shopping list too. I want you to love Dollar Shave Club as much as I do. So I've arranged for you to try your first month of their best razor along with travel size versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and yes, even butt wipes for just $5. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. It's the DSC starter set. Get yours for just $5 exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash reddick. We're also brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite NBA team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just used SeatGeek to buy tickets to a Broadway show the other day. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. 
Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. That's promo code JJ for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat right now, right from your phone. And now back to my conversation with Joel Embiid. I want to go back about eight years to when you when you first started playing basketball in Cameroon. You were, I think, an aspiring volleyball player at the yeah. time. And uh, you got invited to Luke Mbamute's camp that he was doing in Cameroon. You went, um, you got invited to Basketball Without Borders after that. Eventually, you know, you went to Montverde in, in the U.S. And that was a whole conversation that you had with Luke and your family. But what was it about basketball that initially attracted you to the game? Was it a means to get out? Was it, was it the potential of superstardom or was it something like very simple about the game that you enjoyed? I actually don't know. Uh, the first time I watched probably NBA basketball or basketball in general was, uh, I think the finals, uh, Lakers against, I think it was Orlando or Boston. I was, it was Orlando. It was 09. Yeah. yeah. Was, there we go. That was, yeah. I was on that when team. You, we yeah, lost. When you lost. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first time I watched. And then, I was so impressed by Kobe, and that's how I became a big Kobe fan. Uh, that's how I became a big Laker fan too. I was just so impressed by the intensity, like by the way he played basketball, by the way the ball was moving, um, by the atmosphere, and like um, the media coverage and like all that stuff, like. And then growing up, I was a shy kid. I never talked. Like, when I'm by myself or when I'm with people, like, I don't usually talk. So, like, I don't, I know, I don't really like to be in that type of setting, but like, I was impressed by that. So I watched that and then I was playing volleyball at the time, soccer, a lot of soccer too, a uh, little bit of karate. Uh, and then I just, and then I just felt like I wanted to, like, just try. I stopped playing basketball too. Um, and then I talked to my dad about it. He said no, uh, because he thought it was going to be too physical uh, for me. Um, so kind of disappointed that my dad thought I was soft. <laughs> uh, but, and then um, in 2011, um, I think uh, one of my uncle had to talk to him and um, one other coach uh, in Cameroon. And then that's how he finally let me start playing basketball. And then from that time, 2011, um, I played for like three or four months back home. And then Luke came back to Cameroon. He had a camp. And um, I think I actually missed the first day of the pre-selection because I, I thought I wasn't good enough. I thought I wasn't going to pick. I wasn't going to get picked regardless. And then the second day, second I was forced to go, and as, I remember as soon as I got there, these people asked me if I had a passport already. And then I was like, that was kind of awkward. Uh, maybe people m must have been talking about me or something like that. Then he saw that maybe I had the potential to like um, be the next one to come over. And uh, I said yes, because uh, growing up, my mom, dad, like we used to like uh, go on vacation to Paris and stuff. Uh, so I had a passport and all that. Uh, so I say yes, and then I went on to do. I went to the, I went to the uh, pre-selections and stuff. That's how I get picked for his camp. And uh, I went to his camp, 
I didn't think I did a good job either, but he picked me for the all-star game. I thought it wasn't fair for the other kids, but good for me. Uh, and then I was one of the five um, Camonians to go to Basketball Without Borders. And then from there, he just basically took off. Yeah. I, yeah. What's interesting to me in hearing you say that is is you um, you didn't feel like you deserved a spot in this all-star game at this camp. And I read Jackie McCollum's uh, article from last season about the rise of basketball in Cameroon. And there's a lot of sort of anecdotes in that article about your self-doubt uh, early in your career, whether that was at Montverde or at Kansas. I remember there was a time you, you went into Coach Self's office and were like, I don't think I'm cut out for this. I want to go back home. How do we get from that where you don't think that you're good enough to – now like how does that transformation happen in such a short amount of time oh um, was there i guess a better question is what is was there a moment was it like what was the first time where you were like oh shit i'm really good oh i mean i think it's kind of like fair to like uh say that when i started playing ball especially when i got to the state um I mean, my junior year, I was playing JV, literally with little kids, like <laughs> junior year in high school. Think about it. Uh, and then, um, and then there was that moment during my junior year when I got called back up with the senior team and we played in the national championship tournament and I ended up having like a good semifinal and a good final. That's when people started seeing me, but like it was, I was still not there. Like I, wasn't good enough. Like I was just like a rim running big and black shot athletic. And uh, I go to college. I played my first pickup game against uh, all those guys. And then that's when I'm like, huh, I'm not ready for this. Like <laughs> these guys were just too physical. And I don't know if, if you saw, if you seen my um, pics when I was like younger, like I was like so skinny. Uh, and then I went, I went into coach self office and then I was like, man, I don't think I'm ready. Like I want a red shirt. And then going into college, I thought I was going to be there for five years, four or five years, red shirt one year and then play for four years. And, um, stuff happened. Uh, <laughs> I get to the league. I missed two years. Um, uh, I lose my brother. So I go through a lot and. When that time came for me to come back on the court and play my first game, I mean, I think my first game, I played like 24 minutes. And mind you, in college, I wasn't a scorer. Like, I was yeah. I was just rebounding the ball, blocking shot, pretty good defensively, offensively, regular hook shot, like typical big man. And um, my first game, I think I scored 20 points in 24 minutes. And then that's when I figured out that I... Damn, it's easy. Like it's not the, it's not easy to like thrive in the league or score in the league. But I was like, like and I was playing against Steven Adams, like big big dude and like really good defensively. And then I'm like twenty and twenty four minutes. Like so, it wasn't until your first NBA game of that, your that's third that, that, season where you were like, uh, I'm I'm good. I can do this. It wasn't. It wasn't even at that point. I think he was. Uh, I think I still haven't figured out yet. I think I'm still like going through a lot when I'm like, oh damn, like I'm really good. But like, I don't think the moment where I'm like, ah, uh, this is the moment. 
that I feel like, oh, I made it. Like, I'm really fucking good. Like, I'm, like, top five player in the league or something uh, uh, like that. Like, I don't think that moment has come yet. But, like, there's some moments where, like, I do this type of moves and then I'm like, did I just do this? <laughs> like, the dream shake or I don't know. Like, sometimes I'm just, like, do a Kareem hook shot. Yeah. Like, I don't work on that. Like, like because I know that, like, I'm just trying to focus on, like, certain areas of my game. But, like, me doing it in the game, I'm like, oh, damn, I have a potential to do that. Like, And then that just shows me that, oh, I got so much. I got so much more to, like, work on and so much more to show. But I just think um, I would say the first game. But I don't think the right moment has come yet. The 46 against the Lakers wasn't the right moment either. Because I think for you, I've been around you for a few months now, and I have talked to a lot of people about you, and, and Coach Brown and I have talked about you, and, like, the thing that strikes me about you is how competitive you are. And, like, to hear you talk about this, for me, it's, it sounds like maybe that moment isn't until you're a champion, you're a world champion. Is that the ultimate driving force? Oh, yeah. I, def- I definitely want to win. Uh, uh, you know, I think everybody around me knows that I'm competitive, and uh, – uh, I play while I'm hurt. I play while I'm sick. I push my surges because, like, I want to help the team win. Uh, the 46-point f- game, um, I wouldn't consider that, like, a big moment just because, like, I didn't feel like I was hot. Like, I didn't feel like I was just making shots all over the place. Like, I was just playing basketball. Like, I was, like, getting eyes on, getting the ball in the post, making regular moves. Uh, like, um, you guys are setting me up, like, you guys opening the floor for me. Like, I was just playing basketball. Like, it wasn't like I was just coming up. I'm like, oh, I just made one shot. Next one. I, it wasn't like I was Clay Thompson or Steph Curry. Like, I was like, heat check, heat check, just keep making shots and stuff. So that's why uh, it was a great game, but like, I don't really consider that game as like the big moment. Do you. Do you feel pressure? Because to me, you come across... Wait, first of all, you said it earlier, and I would agree with you. Like Most people see this side of you, whether it's in the media or whether on social media, that is fairly outgoing uh, and fun-loving. But you are somewhat of a shy person. Do you feel Do you feel pressure, either because of your contract or because of you know the, the hype now around you? Uh, also, possibly, the way that Philly fans have just latched on to you. I mean, they love you. You are sort of the embodiment, the the result of this quote unquote process that that started four years ago. Do you feel that pressure at all? I feel it, but I love it. I love being in type of situations like this because I uh, it just makes me push myself harder. It makes me like want to play hard and like win or do everything I can to win uh, the basketball game. Um, but uh, I feel pressure, but I, I just love it. I just love the moment. I just love everything that comes with it um, because uh, that's a way for me to have fun. Like, I, I'm, like, when I'm home, I'm just playing video games. I, I don't go nowhere. Just play video games, eat, sleep. That's all I do. Um, don't do nothing else. Uh, so, like, when I'm, like... And then when I'm, like, walking in the streets, like, fans, like, come up to me and, like, I get bothered a lot. Uh, like, I don't like it. 
Uh, you mean you don't feel comfortable with? I don't. It. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's I, not something I, you yeah. you enjoy and you yeah. seek out. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's fine. You like, appreciate the yeah, fandom. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Like, and I always take pictures and stuff. Like, but like, I just sometimes I just want to like be normal. I just want to like, hide <laughs> myself, and it's kind of hard to like hide myself too because I'm like seven, seven, uh, seven feet. No, I'm six eleven. I'm like six eleven. So, uh, but. Uh, it just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I'm still figuring it myself. I'm still figuring myself out. Um, but when I'm on the court, I just love everything that comes with it. The love, the excitement, uh, you know, the fans that show me so much love. And uh, I just, I just, I just love it. Yeah. Seems to me like there's a connection then between what you said attracted you to the game as a 15 year old, you know, in terms of the atmosphere, the energy, the attention, the competition, all of those things. But, I mean, there's no way that eight years ago, having never played, that you would think to yourself, like, I'm going to be a 23-year-old and be one of the best players in the world and on a max contract. Like, that seems like a fairy tale. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I never thought this would have happened. Uh, you know, I always say that my life is a movie because everything happens so fast. I mean... Me starting to play basketball and then coming over, playing JV and uh, signing for, uh, for Kansas. And uh, I thought that I was going to be there for a long time. And then one year um, I get drafted and I miss two years and then two years just fly by. And then I'm back on the court uh, uh, even better. And then... This year, like, we got a better team and we're winning games and, like, everything is just happening so fast. And, like, he just, sometimes I just sit there, I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I'm just like a regular uh, kid from Cameroon and uh, I just walked my ass up because I really did. Like, uh, looking back at it, like, um, I mean, like, the two years that I missed, like, I wasn't, like, I missed those two years and, I know people give me a lot of shit because I missed two years. They're saying that, oh, I was on an NBA team. Like, people don't understand how hard it is because, like, I didn't actually get to practice with the team. Like, I was away from the team and I never got to practice with the team. So, like, it's so hard. Like, but, uh, you know, I'm going to keep on working hard because I know that I'm only going to keep on getting better. Still so new to the game. Like I've been playing for six, seven years and I missed two of those years. Uh, so like, I just, I just want to keep on working and get better. Which was harder for you? Those two years that you sat out, well, really two and a half. Cause last year, you know, yeah. you, you missed some time too. Those two and a half years or the first two or three years that you were over here in high school and college, when you really didn't have a support system like you do now, um, you were, I assume, homesick. You had never really been to the States before. Which was harder? It's hard because my first two years when I got to the state, I wasn't really good. I wasn't good at basketball and uh, didn't know the language. I didn't know English at all, so I had to learn English. And uh, my teammates were making fun of me, and uh, I was getting pushed all over the place. Uh, basically, I was getting bullied, basically. Um, and uh, that was hard. And then I was playing JV, which <laughs> I'm like, damn, as a junior, JV, it's fine. But uh, yeah, looking back at it, I'm myself, and I'm like, I, 
I did not play JV my junior year. That doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was hard. But um, my first two years, I think the biggest thing about missing my first two years was not about the injury. It was more about losing my brother um, because I hadn't seen him since I left. And uh, the summer I got drafted, he came to the state. Uh, I was in LA. He was supposed to come meet me and my whole family in LA. Um, but I I had told him he was on the East Coast and I was coming to Philly. So I just, uh, I think it was like a day or two in between. And I had, and then my mom, they were coming back to like same on the East Coast. And then I was going to meet them. So I had told him to, uh, I told them to like have him just stay because I was about to come back. Uh, and then something ended up happening and I then went back on the East Coast and um, I couldn't go, I couldn't come on the East Coast and same. So I missed that chance to like same. So, it was hard. It was hard, and being away from your family, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I just see, I just sit here, and then I'm like, uh, I just want to like go back home and like literally spend a few days, and then come here because I miss everything, uh, family, food, friends. Uh, it's just, it's just, it just, it was just so different. But I think my first, uh, my two years that I missed were the hardest. Do you feel more comfortable when you're back home? Are you like more in your element? Oh, um, I would think so. This summer I went back and uh, the people that that are always around me, Jenny and John, they came back with me. And uh, you could tell, like, I was, I was around my family and uh, it was just different. Like, I was more active. I wasn't shy. Like, I was more in my element and I was myself. Yeah. One of the reasons that I think that Philly fans, NBA fans like you so much and, and uh, sort of have, have latched on to you so much is because of your personality, your fun loving and all that. But also this portrayal of you as sort of like the everyman. And you've mentioned it here in the last 20 minutes. You've mentioned it twice, you know, just the desire to sort of be normal. So some of those examples like, you know, the late night tennis before the season, um, jogging through the streets of Philadelphia not spending any money, which I, I think is like legitimate. I mean, like I, I don't even ask you these questions. We, we talked briefly about like, you know, getting a, getting a house or an apartment or something like yeah. that. But like, did you, did you didn't buy a car? Like you didn't buy a car for yourself when nah, you signed your deal. Did I you? still, I still don't have a car. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't buy anything. You rent right now. You're still renting in yeah. Philadelphia, yeah. And you have a basically a big. T- you, you were quoted as saying, "I just all I need is a big TV in my and video games." Yep. <laughs> There's nothing else that you want. Is there anything like that's on your list? You're like, ah, someday, like I could see myself getting this. Uh, I mean, you've got it. You've got to spoil yourself at some I point. I think the only thing is the they have the new Maybach that's coming out. <laughs> I think he's in 2019. It was okay. a concept car, but uh, I think they just announced that it was coming out in 2019 or 2020. So maybe that'll be the first time I make my first big purchase. Okay. Yeah. Are you? You don't have your license though. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll have to get on that. <laughs> hey, before I let you go, I just want to mention um, you. You had talked a little bit about your brother. But you uh, started a foundation, the Arthur Embiid and Angels Foundation, 
uh, with the goal of helping at-risk at and underprivileged youth in your home country of Cameroon. You have partnered with UNICEF over the holidays uh, to raise money to give to your foundation and to, to help youth in your home country. Um, where can people go if they want to find out more information or if they want to donate to this, to this cause? Like you said, the name is Arthur M.B. Angels, uh, Angels Foundation. The website is MB for uh, for Cameroon. Um, but you know, the the whole goal is just you know, I'm a kid from Africa, and I feel like although I don't think I made it yet, uh, I feel like I made I've made it. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of kids don't get this opportunity that I got. Uh, and then thanks to Luke. Uh, thanks to my family, thanks to all the people that have been around me. Uh, I'm really grateful for uh, for all of them. Uh, the coach, the coaches that helped me when I was staying back in Cameroon. Without them, uh, I don't think I would have been here. Uh, but the whole goal is just to help as many people as I can because like, growing up in Cameroon, it was it was hard. Like I wouldn't say I didn't have like a rough life. Uh, um, because my dad uh, was a is a colonel in the army, uh, so but like I went through it and I saw kids and like in the neighborhoods like kids that didn't have anything and that really pains me and then it goes all over Africa. So my whole goal is I mean to like help as many people as I can. I, you you can't help everybody, but yeah. uh, as long as uh, you help. Um, uh, uh, a lot of people and uh, whoever you can, I think he's always great. And um, and then he also came for my brother. Uh, when he was still with us, when he was with us, he was just so giving. He was so caring and giving. Um, that that's why we created this foundation in his name. And um, and then he was just he was just a great kid. And I hadn't seen him in three years, but the stuff I um, that told him. Uh, that told me uh, about him when he was still here and back home. Uh, I mean, was just beautiful and at his age, and he was helping kids out. Uh, he was like the food that he was getting at home. He was just literally getting that and like going and like sharing with the kids in the neighborhood and stuff. So like, I mean, that's amazing. And uh, for me, my family, and the people around me to be able to be in this type of position to help others, I think is is great. That's awesome. I just want to say to you, man, that we appreciate you opening up and sharing, and not only what you're doing now, but what you've done over the last uh, eight years is it's inspiring stuff, man. It's a uh, and you, my friend, are living your best life right uh, now. Yeah, <laughs> you are living your best life. Uh, all right, Joel Embiid. We appreciate you. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. Thank you.